Hello, everybody. I uh, hope you are finding your way into this room successfully. Welcome to what's really happening in our crazy world and how can we be the change for real. Now, as we are gathering, I can see people are still joining quite rapidly. Uh, not everybody is here yet. I want to say a little something about why, uh, why I'm doing this particular event. A communication about what I think matters most in this world. I've titled this, What's Really Happening in This Crazy World? And How You Can Be the Change You Want to See. And I think that those of you who have shown up are like me, serious, awake to the enormously exciting and challenging moment that we are all in together. As we see what's happening to our planetary ecology with global warming right here, uh, the skies have been full of uh, smoke. I've been, you know, rained on with ash. The world seems in many ways to be burning. There have been record-setting heat waves. All of this is related, of course, to global warming. And yet, our crisis can't be simplified to just that. We're, you're probably feeling both a sense of concern and worry, but you're probably also very conscious people who've been practicing and who have been doing good work making real differences, perhaps affecting environmental policy, certainly making lifestyle changes like I have. And we've made a difference, a real difference already in, in all that we've done. So we're here with, with a real question and a real interest in breaking through. All the things that we're doing we can see are not quite enough. We're in a moment in which more is necessary. Every one of us is being called to grow, and yet how can we do it? And I think that if, if to some degree you're grappling with this, you're grappling with your impulse to make a bigger difference, to wake up to a level where your own stuff doesn't get in the way as much, if you're interested to have a conversation that's real, where we begin to become the adults who can take charge of our circumstance at a whole new level. Well, welcome, because these are the people I'm expecting we're, we're gathering with. I want to say some things about myself. Some of you know this, probably many of you don't. When I was six years old, my parents moved our family into uh, a community outside Chicago called the York Center Community Co-op. And it had, was about 70 families on about 70 acres. They had uh, purchased members of a local church of the Brethren, one of the peace churches in America, had purchased this cornfield and wanted to live together cooperatively as a witness for peace and brotherhood. And so as I grew up during the Vietnam War and civil rights movements, I was the kid in my generation of co-op kids who was really interested in, uh, re I read early, I was kind of precocious, and I wanted to talk to the adults about what they cared about and what was going on. And so I found myself in conversations 
with these dedicated activists, uh, conscientious objectors and peace activists and civil rights activists and labor organizers. And these co-op aunts and uncles really kind of raised me to be a bit of a revolutionary. And, and, and I was kind of a good boy in a sense in that I, uh, many of those of us who got involved in the protests of the late 60s and the early 70s were rebelling against their parents. I wasn't. I was fulfilling those values. But what I began to see, certainly uh, toward the early 70s, you know, the, re the re-election of, uh, of uh, Richard Nixon uh, in 72, after all that had gone on in 68, I began to see that something more than the kind of activism I knew how to do, the left-wing approach, the even peace, even civil rights and brotherhood, although I absolutely believed in those values, they weren't enough. We were obviously not solving the problem. And somehow I also noticed that I had to change. I often tell the story of a particularly poignant moment after I had led, I don't know exactly sure how many, you know, three to 5,000 kids marching, student, college students. Uh, we were protesting. Uh, we wanted the University of Michigan to divest uh, from any companies doing business in apartheid South Africa. And we marched on the president's home. I had actually initiated it. And I, I saw this woman seeing this sea of students marching and, and chanting and feeling totally threatened and, and trying to pull the window shade. And there was something in that moment where my own immaturity and arrogance, the, the idea that I knew best and that I had a right to give this person this experience of being under assault. I realized that where I was coming from had to be transformed. And so I found my way to the human potential movement and to the ashram that I spent uh, the first half of my adult life in with my root guru, Adida Samraj. And that is uh, an enormous influence. He taught a way he called the way of the heart. And uh, he's the real thing. Uh, controversial, complicated, difficult, but authentic. And those years of apprenticeship really reformatted the hard drive, woke me up, made of me really a lifelong practitioner. And uh, in the years that followed, I'll, although I, I started a business, I was, I was pretty much dedicated to this quest of bringing together this inner awakening with that obviously necessary outer work. The kind of social stance that I was raised in was seeming more and more necessary. Our, our, our activism had to come from a more radical place. We had to be more radically awake, but we also had to be more radically effective. Maybe a, a more radical awakeness could make us more effective. I didn't see the life in the ashram turning itself to that kind of social service as much as I wanted to. So I emerged from it. I, I started a business uh, that sold consciousness technologies. That was where I got involved with the Institute of Heart Math and helped create their first heart rate variability uh, monitor, uh, something that's really at the center of the work they've done ever since. And then uh, in 2003, I, I connected with uh, Ken Wilber and the Integral Institute. And 
that chapter of my life reshaped my awareness in new ways. Uh, I, I think we began to engage in what's called meta-theory, re recognizing the patterns of how we see things and liberating ourselves from our stories in a much more radical way. So these different stages of my life journey have brought me to a place where I feel very clear that I've been able to integrate something uh, unique. So today I wanna to talk with you about four things. One is what time it is on the planet, how confusing and scary that can seem, how inspiring I find it, and how we can make better sense of that. I also want to talk with you about what's happening right now at the leading edge of awakening and higher consciousness. We are evolving. And what's happening there? The third thing I want to tell you about is how we can take additional meaningful new strides toward being the change in our relationships with each other and in our ways of relating to each other. And finally, I want to talk with you about how I have integrated a whole suite of key insights in a new way in my book, A New Republic of the Heart, an Ethos for Revolutionaries, and why I've decided to offer a course on the book, and I want to share some details about that course. So the planet right now is in crisis on multiple levels. We're poised between positive transformations and negative ones. Advances in consciousness and spirituality and communication and human relating really do seem to be at the edge of promising potentials for radical breakthrough. And, and there will be important contributions to our future that are entirely positive, that will in their own way be disruptive but it's also three minutes to midnight, according to the Union of Concerned Scientists. Our climate crisis and our inability to bring together any kind of coher coherent collective will to address it are beyond extreme. Our climate crisis, our ecological crisis in general, which is much more than climate, the destruction of habitats, the destruction of fish life in the ocean, we're we're in a very extreme position. And apart from that, we're in the midst of enormous culture wars. In this country, they're extreme. There's a, a breakdown in social cohesion and a, a, a deepening of polarization. And this is the world superpower that was formerly safeguarding modern world-centric values and being the indispensable nation in the world. We were standing at the top of a hierarchy of power and privilege responsibly, and now suddenly irresponsibly. So there's a political crisis emanating from the U.S., but it's not only in the U.S. Everyone who's listening here from Europe or Asia can see that this destabilization, this multipolar world is becoming more unpredictable, dangerous, and, and scary in many ways. Our economic and financial fundamentals are not sound, and the potential for panics, crashes, uh, 
and, and even disruptions of civil order are, are not unthinkable. So there's a lot of fear in the system. And the problems that we are dealing with here are, they're part of a tangle of causes and effects in a rich and, and complex fashion that are you know, really beyond our understanding. We, we don't know and can't know how to predict how this will evolve. Our problems are called wicked problems for real reasons. They have multiple causes and effects. They are no, there's no centralized authority. Time is running out. Current ways of being are, have increasingly negative uh, potentials. The, the, the sense of urgency, if you really look at specifically what's happening in terms of the most fundamental aspects of what supports our well-being, it's scary. Now, even more than that, we're caught in a cycle socially, technologically, culturally, in our media, in our communications, what's happening with us on the web, where every one of our lives is speeding up and speeding up. Our social and cultural progress, so-called, is speeding up. And there's no uh, breaks. It's, it's like that movie Speed, where the people were trapped on a bus that had to go at least 60 miles an hour, no matter what. And it was, you know, it's a, it's a car chase movie in the end, because it was going to blow up if it slowed down. Well, we have an economy that not only goes fast, but it, keeps to, it needs growth. It needs to keep accelerating or it threatens to blow us all up. We're caught in all of this at once. So it's at a critical time on the planet, and yet none of these negative trends is predictive. You know, the whole history of evolution has been one of emergence. And emergence is a nice scientific term for what in religious language we would call miracles. We are in a moment in which there will be miracles, and those miracles are unknowable. We don't know exactly which miracles they'll be and when they will arrive and under what circumstances. But in fact, we don't know enough as com confounding and upsetting as our total situation may be. We are We're not possessed of enough detailed certainty to adopt a pessimistic orientation. We have to recognize that pessimism is itself, it tends to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is why the personal growth literature tells us again and again and again how important it is to have a positive orientation to life. So here we are in this uncertain situation in which we don't know enough to be pessimistic. In fact, things are far too serious for us to go into this anxious, gripped, tightened up orientation to life. No deal. We can't do that. We, things are far too serious for us to lose our sense of humor. But it's not just losing our sense of humor. It's losing our sense of, of sass and spunk, this kind of irrepressible affir affirmation of life, love of life willingness to show up for the amazing affair that is life. Now, 
at the leading edge of awakening and higher consciousness, we're awakening now at a whole new level. Early in the past, you awaken to, you know, some of your unconscious patterns and family of origin stuff and some of your habits and realizing you can make new choices and you make new choices and you discover a path of growth and you keep releasing unuseful habits and reactions and attitudes and wake up from your stories and purge uh, unhealthy beliefs. And that's wonderful. And then at a certain point, there's an awakening that's not about you at all. You're awakening to the mystery itself, to divinity. And that is liberating in an even more radical way. Other aspects of what people wake up to, though, are our personal. You may be noticing and becoming conscious in relation to the animating energetics of existence, the soul level of experience, and to the voice, you know, hearing something from the voice of your soul, deeper level guidance, a sense of purpose, and, and, and a trusting relationship to this deeper animating energetic substrate of your life. And then, after even all of that is there, there can be some measure of enlightenment, awakening as awareness from every limit, knowing yourself as radical freedom. Maybe some of this comes with the assistance of teachers and teachings and schools, and you get very committed to a certain path. Some people have similar awakenings, at least for moments, with the help of uh, medicines and theogens. Many of us are having this experience at the same time. And all along this part of the trajectory of the path, you keep waking up into more and more freedom and happiness and joy and possibility. But then there is another level of that process that's beautifully expressed in the spirit of the Bodhisattva. You awaken from your self-focus altogether into service. And that whole process of learning and figuring things out and, uh, you know, it, it, it just kind of becomes secondary. It's not that it's completely irrelevant, but there's really mainly only a matter of loving effectively in a world that is in many ways undergoing a terrible crisis of fragmentation. And so suddenly you were getting lighter and lighter and lighter and freer and more non-separate and more blissful. And now you're inheriting a real, actual responsibility to, to the degree that you are awake and free, even part of the time, even incompletely, in relation to your stuff. Suddenly, your responsibility as part of the intelligence of this whole human system, whoa, that comes forward. And that's a very big transition. So this revelation that at first seemed to be about your own enlightenment and your own discovering your Buddha nature, Christ nature, non-separation, coinciding with the all and allness, the onlyness, the isness of being itself. Well, now it's as though that isness of being itself has is your situation. It has taken you over, and and it. Right now, the heart, we could call it, that isness of being, the divinity of this mysterious 
appearance that we're in together. Well, it's taking on the whole world through us now. So whereas practice could be measured by how light you were, how few problems you had, how simple you were, how free you were, now you've inherited every problem and every suffering in the world. And now you have to make your love effective in a way that makes a real difference in the unique way that only you can. And with our world situation as out of control and as fast moving as that is, this is a lot to bring together for us. This reminds me of uh, a story I sometimes tell about my root guru, Adi Da. He expressed in his, just in his very being, in silence, actually, this is a story of sitting with him in silence, that has been really, really useful to me. On this particular occasion, I visited him at a, a, in a small room that was uh, uh, a sacred place, a communion hall, but it only had space for maybe 15 people. And he was sitting in front of us in uh, a deep samadhi. Uh, well, actually, the first thing that happened was I opened the door and it felt like a, a steam room. There was profound, profound spiritual force in the room. But the quality of the force was one of feeling. And he had a kind of a, a, a look of pain on his face. And as I felt into it, I just realized that it was as if he was resonating with all the pain of the whole world. And I sunk into that and I let that register in me. And I empathized with all the suffering human beings, the men, the women, the children of all cultures all over the world, but not just the people, all the creatures, all this living earth, the humans and the non-humans. And the, it was like a crucifixion, like, ah, oh, this pain. But as I surrendered deeper and deeper into that resonance in his field, really tuning into what was being transmitted, I discovered that at the very depths of it, it was incredibly blissful also. And it made it so obvious to me that this was a demonstration of a version of enlightenment that wasn't about just being serene all the time, always immune to the problem around one. It was one of being completely unbuffered and letting it all be felt, but also feeling the joy and wonder and bliss and ecstasy of this miracle of existence so forcefully that one can also feel all of the awfulness at the same time. It was like being an exploded sphere of feeling. And that shifted something from me. I, I, I had a moment of that experience. I don't experience it all the time. But you see, being in touch with a high realization that then can inform one's practice shifts the ground. Then instead of trying to be serene all the time, one can simply allow and be present to and wake up to whatever's missing. Often, the inherently blissful, wonderful nature of this miracle of life, this moment, but also allowing its two-sidedness deeply. So 
We can all benefit from letting our practice be informed by the truth of the greatest possible realizations. And at this point, the greatest possible realization that can inform every one of us, because this crisis on the planet isn't just out there. It is asking for a response from every one of us. I'm imagining that you take that seriously, that you are with me in this in certain essential ways. So our practice can be informed by that realization that this you know, urgency somehow requires us to not tighten up in urgency, that it is asking for us to find our way to a different level of freedom, of willingness, of humor, and unconditional commitment. And as a part of that, it's asking us not just to be all about our own awakening and deepening, but to roll up our sleeves and do the outer work of making a difference. Those of us in the United States have an election and an important one, a place where elections have consequences and important ones. It's a time for us to be engaged with our volunteering or contributions and, and certainly our voting. But that's not the limit of it. In, in my book, I describe in the system activism, which I think is a responsibility of every citizen, but also against the system, that's protest, and especially going around the system which is a lot of what many integral evolutionary brothers and sisters are already doing. And that's making changes that really benefit the future that aren't so much specifically about the system itself. The third thing I want to talk about here is how we can take additional meaningful new strides toward being the change in relationship to one another. We have learned to become evolutionary brothers and sisters. We are in this, in certain ways, you know, essentially together. I have met many of you, I'm sure, and all of us have met other serious practitioners, other sincere people who are in one way or another taking responsibility for showing up at new levels of consciousness and, and, and creativity, who care and who are trying to be a contribution to a healthier human future. Most of us recognize that our whole human civilizational system is entering into a period of real crisis, a crisis of fragmentation, and that it's important for us to show up as wholeness. But when we turn to one another and we attempt to be that wholeness together, we encounter limits. And I often uh, mention a joke, I, I forget who told it to me. I love humanity, but people, uh, and our ability to break through the limits that we tend to experience and impose on one another so that together, we bring the very best of ourselves forward and root for each other to bring the very best of you know, themselves forward, such that we become a community of practice that is experimenting on the leading edge of what it is to be human. Evolutionary theory would tend to predict that the next stage in our process would be the emergence of a superorganism, 
a human superorganism would be like a social, like a social holon, but a social holon that would be functioning at a whole new level. Where in our love relationships, our friendships with one another, we could function at a level that allowed us to show up in society with outsized effects. In a sense, to outcompete our cooperative synergies, all about cooperation, would outcompete others in, this, in the competitive dynamics that often dominate our ways of being with one another. Now, we're not there yet. Most sanghas, most communities of practice, most congregations, most friendships are growing, but we kind of think we know how to do a conversation, how to do a friendship, how to do a community of practice. But we're, we're in a new moment. We're in a tipping point where my way of being a practitioner, it's good, but it's time to up my game our way of being friends. It's good, but it's time for that to go through a transformation too. Our ways of being sanghas or communities of practice are good, and it's important that they break through to another level. And that breaking through to another level in our ways of relating to one another is crucial right now. It's one of the places that I'm planning to focus my work on in the, in the, in the time ahead. There are several chapters in, in this book, A New Republic of the Heart, that focus on conversation. Because in a way, the way we engage one another is we talk to each other. And there are a lot of limits that tend to be built into our ways of talking with one another. As you know, it's hard for people to really listen to others. It's hard for people to really get the uh, fullness of, of what somebody else is trying to offer in a way that allows them to uh, metabolize that, process it, and then integrate something and respond to it so that the conversation actually proceeds to another level. And then if all of us are doing that, our conversations actually get into new territory. They can be blissful, they can draw us into higher states of consciousness, they can be a goad to our growth, and even a presence of a higher principle that can uplift us. But they can also be a, uh, an actual presence in the world. I want, for instance, to find my way into both 3D and virtual community with other people who see these same priorities and who want with me to be in a community of practice, doing inner work, but also doing the outer work of helping other communities of practice to rise up, to raise up their level of function and capacity so that we together can really be being the change we want to see in the world at a whole new level. I'm also interested in curating some crucial conversations that are very important. I'll be 
launching a podcast later. And part of what I want to do is to bring together people who are the, among the smartest people in the world, who are having the most important conversations about the human future, but right now aren't talking to each other across certain boundaries, worldview boundaries. We have the, the scientists and entrepreneurs and technologists who are busy building a technological future, and they're not usually listening to the folks who are focused on the living earth and the soul of the earth, the ecologists, those who are focused on our home and our relationship to our home, who are reckoning in a different way with the human future, really looking at how we can learn from even indigenous people. What is it that it takes for us to live in a permanently sustainable relationship to our life support, support systems? Those ecologists have a lot to bring to this conversation and the, innovate, the innovators aren't listening to them. We evolutionaries and spiritual practitioners who are learning to wake up from our perspectives and understand the patterns of perspective and take what are called meta perspectives, perspectives on our perspectives. We have valid and important contributions, but we tend to feel superior. We wanna talk about things in our own terms. We're not tending to be as activists as we could be. We tend to feel superior to the ecologists and to the mere technologists. We think we can see something about them. There's gonna to have to be a, a humility and a dropping down into conversation among all these groups. I hope to facilitate that. I hope in time, that we may even be able to give birth in the United States, the form would be to a political action committee. I think in Europe, there are already some really exciting new political parties and in parliamentary systems, the smaller party can have real impact on the national conversation and on policy. I think it's also important for us to do what we can to attract investment capital and innovative people who are developing new technologies so that some of the technologies that are perhaps going to help us break into another stage of techno-economic life are stewarded by the wisdom that understands that this time it can't keep us running faster and faster, that the next transition has to be to uh, permanent sustainability on a garden planet. But the first step of everything I wanna do really comes with education. And so I've undertaken a pretty mammoth task of integrating a lot of things in this book, A New Republic of the Heart. Now, many of you may already have, have read the book. Many probably have not. But what I've, what I've done uh, in the book, I think, is to bring together a whole host of a very deep and you know, I think they're profound insights, but in separate domains, profound insights into the nature of the leading edge of spiritual practice and higher consciousness in the world. You know, for seven years, I had a Beyond Awakening series where I had deep conversations about how human consciousness could help us meet the challenges uh, that humanity is facing in this time. So I've, I've gone into that in depth and there's new, new syntheses there. But I've also looked very deeply at other entirely different bodies of knowledge, neuroscience, 
integral theory. A lot of this is social commentary because we need to understand what's happening in our public world as best we can. Yes, it does in some ways seem like it's spinning out of control. And yet we, by staying calm in part, staying in our hearts, bringing our total intelligence, our awakeness, and also our human care and vulnerability, bringing all of that forward into contact with one another in a way that helps us together to be a force of wholeness, a cohering force, a force of integrity. In a sense, this crisis of fragmentation stimulates a, an immune response. And we're feeling that, that part of you that wants to be the change, wants to be a part of something healthy. That's this wholeness. That's, the, that's what I call heart, integral heart intelligence. Integral because it, it doesn't leave out the head intelligence or the gut intelligence. It's the total intelligence of the human being, which we integrate at the center. Well, all of that that's in this book needs to really be thought about, felt, discussed, engaged, metabolized. It's not just a bunch of ideas. Very often in the book, I point to the fact that these insights have to be downloaded and felt. They have to shift our way of being. And we need to bring them into relationships. So for that reason, I decided to create a course based on the book. And so what I'm planning to do is to go through the book chapter by chapter over 12 weeks, starting at the end of this month. And I'd like to invite you to consider participating in that course. Part of what I'll be providing are the audio files for the upcoming audio book of the course on a pre-release, exclusive pre-release basis. So if you haven't read the book yet and it's hard for you to sit and read books, there's help. There's an audio book version. You'll get a, a download of the audio of each chapter. And you, you perhaps have already accessed the, uh, uh, an MP3 of me reading the introduction to the book, which I've made available for free. Well, the whole book will become available in that form, which may provide a useful bridge. But I'll also be providing PDFs of each chapter at the beginning of the week that we dig into that chapter. And I'll be helping you uh, connect with other course participants. If you know people who are taking this course and you would like to be in discussion groups with them, I encourage you to self-organize your groups. If you don't know other people and you would like to uh, uh, be introduced to others, we will be sending you a questionnaire where you can tell us all the important details, your time zone, uh, and a little bit about you so that we can make the most intelligent choices about how we group you. We can't guarantee that every group is going to be fantastic. We're, we're not offering to uh, uh, be constantly involved with whatever issues come up in each book discussion group, but we can at least get you started in that. And I'll be sharing with you each week a series of either discussion points, well, some discussion points, and perhaps some uh, experiential we space exercises so that you can go into this process of metabolizing these insights with the people in your group in a richer way. And that, uh, I think, is a really important dimension of, of the course.
I'll be uh, in each session, what I'll do at the beginning, I'll, I'll offer a brief introduction to the chapter, just a brief video that you'll be able to watch or you'll get it in audio so you don't have to watch if you'd prefer to just listen to the audio. That'll kind of say some things to watch for as you read or reread or listen to that chapter. And then uh, when we dig into that chapter, after you've had a chance to meet with your group, we'll, we'll meet. I'm, I'm imagining that most of you will meet with your group on, on the Monday or the Tuesday or early in the day on the Wednesday when I'll be uh, teaching each of these uh, chapter sessions. So then I will dig into your questions. I hope that you'll engage me deeply with this and that I'll be doing a lot of dialoguing and some of that can be live and interactive. But uh, I, will, I have a lot to say about these things and so I'll get into that as well. And then at the end of each session, I'll introduce the next week's chapter. So that's my essential vision for how I wanna offer this course. And it's, uh, we've decided to make it very affordable. Uh, normally courses of this kind that are this long, 12 sessions over, over uh, 12 weeks would be, uh, you know, from other offerers of transformational programs, uh, a good deal more. This is going to be 397, I think. We wanted to make it affordable and we even have a, a three pay option to make it more affordable if, if uh, if money is tied, it, it doesn't have to stop you from participating if you would like to. Now, in this engagement with the course, it's not just the course. It's a way of being engaged with me and with a community of people who are with me sitting in these deep questions. Some of you have heard me talk before. I often use the metaphor of a koan, a Japanese Zen riddle, an impossible question. Our crisis, our circumstance is that kind of a koan. How do we live, you know, meaningful contributing lives when it seems that our whole collective civilizational structure is unraveling? Well, you know, our biggest problems, we might say, in our individual lives are these big collective things that we have in common. And we can't answer that koan. We can't do anything to make a contribution to that wholeness, except together. We need each other. I need you, you need me. We need to find people who are even, you know, we need to up our game. We need to find people who are upping their game. And together we need to up one another's game in order to rise to be the health of this system under these circumstances. You know, I've noticed that sometimes when I'm doing these talks, and I think that's happened a little bit during this hour, especially uh, I felt a little stress over that tech uh, snafu at the beginning. You know, I'll tighten up because I am excited and I am passionate. But my practice is very often to take, you know, to do two things at once. To take so seriously the genuine, evolutionary urgency of this moment and to let myself inherit that responsibility for the world and to, you know, take it on. In a sense, we do have the weight of the world on our shoulders, but somehow we've got to wear it so lightly that 
the practice in the moment is letting that just drop off and finding our way back to our, this moment is fine. Even if it contains pain, even if it contains loss and grief, there is something ineffably beautiful in every moment of life. And recontacting that, relaxing into that, really abiding in trust of that, that's our sanity. That's the foundation for our evolutionary friendships. It's that context that we need to be reestablishing and strengthening, even as we dare to go into the territory that provokes the things that seem to threaten our serenity. We can't hide out in serenity. On the other hand, we have to find a new level of acceptance and serenity in the midst of what seems very often to be an emergency. How do we do all of that at once? What does that take? Well, we're going to find out. And a big piece of finding out we'll do together through this course. I hope that those of you who participate in the course, in addition to getting the benefit of participating, will begin to see new possibilities for your own creativity, for your projects, for synergies with others, and for building more and more of a network wherein what it is that's really happening here gets a chance to happen through you more tangibly. There is, I think, coming into being, uh, I call it in some places in the book, uh, like the root, root system of, of mushrooms, mycelium, our social mycelium. That which is, you know, the mycelium can be in the soil for years and no mushrooms bloom, but when the conditions are right, boom, they're there. Well, there's something potential in us as individuals and socially that's capable of another level of heroism. So I think we're seeding our capacity, we're, we're planting seeds that can blossom in new levels of capacity in our friendships and in our connections with one another. I'm really, really hoping that we'll begin to see some of that opening up in this course, and that then as I'm also launching a nonprofit organization, that's the kind of the mothership for a new Republic of the Heart, and I will be offering you opportunities to volunteer and to donate and to help vivify this node in what is by its nature, a bigger network. I think many of us will have our own projects, but hopefully many of us can be connected in this network where the depth of the inner work and the vision for the synergies in the outer work are really taken to another level. So this course in the book will be a way for us to solidify that. And I'm inviting you to join me and I hope many of you will. Uh, I'm passionate about this and I promise to give it uh, my very best. And um, I think with that, I'm complete. We had planned to end this by one o'clock. We had a few delays at the beginning, so I guess I, I went a little fast. And that lands us maybe with a moment we can use differently. Sometimes when I teach, I like to offer a prayer. 
And that feels right in this moment. You know, in integral theory, we identify three faces of God. That spirit itself is the I amness of being. It's my very consciousness from which I'm not separate. The I, the first person. And in a way, when you look at nature or when you understand the patterns that connect reality, you're contemplating it in third person. And that is, is a third person spirituality. But there's also turning to this miracle that is life as if it is our, our beloved, our most intimate companion. And in that spirit, whether you're normally thinking of yourself as an atheist or a devotee, and please sympathetically resonate and join me with a, a moment of, of prayer. You, you who are being, me and everyone hearing my voice, you who are grace itself, you who are the animating force of the life energy in all living beings, you who are really beyond my ideas of you, you who are mystery, and you who are beauty and truth and goodness, you who are bigger than all my ideas of how big and amazing you are, thank you. Thank you so much. Please draw me and all of us to the humility, the depth, the awareness, the presence, the authenticity, the integrity, the passion, the aliveness, the playful, fun, all of the virtuous qualities that are you. Let us feel in our hearts, the radiance that you are. And let us find our way into each other's company and in all the work that we do as the hands and feet of the heart of being who you are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining me for this recording and for this session. We will send you an email and give you a link. You can find out more about the course and get a copy of this recording. So hope you'll share it with friends. Take care.